0: the cnbc app global market news in one place customizable sections and personalized alerts stocks tracking interactive charts and market insights all in your hands stay connected stay informed download the cnbc app today oh happy thursday you lot i hope you're having a great day already uh this is squawk box you've got karen chow myself steve sedgwick and it's time for some headlines so rising yields pushing U.S. equity markets towards their worst month of the year. This as the yield on the 10-year holding at levels not seen since 2007. But the CEO of Bank of America tells CNBC a soft landing is still on the cards.
1: Our strategists are no recession. Very slow growth, you know, half a percent annualized GDP growth second and third quarter. You know, so it slows down troughs and starts coming back out.
0: The SEC chair, Gary Gensler, sounds the alarm over a looming government showdown and shutdown. Warning an inability to secure a deal could lead to significant disruptions for stock and bond markets.
2: Donald Trump heads to Detroit as White House hopefuls trade barbs in the second Republican presidential debate hosted by Fox Business. Nikki Haley slamming Congress over its budget deadlock. Congress has only delivered a budget on time four times in 40 years. Right. If they don't keep the government open, they should not get paid. No pay, no budget. That's the way we should it. <laughs> Germany lines up what could be its biggest IPO of the year as Scott Farmer prepares to list with a potential valuation of 4.1 billion euros. We'll be hearing from the CEO at 11.15 CET. look at these u.s markets a choppy old action across the board on the finish uh, we had a little bit of a, a pop on the likes of the nasdaq about two tenths of a percent but a reversal elsewhere for the dow down two tenths so not much of a session but over the course of the trading month we're now looking at one of the worst trading months so far this year september was set up as a likely volatile month, any bad news that was coming through that obviously was not going to be earnings related after the uh, roll call that we had in the previous number of weeks leading up to September could potentially cause markets to sell off. And that's in fact what we had over the the trading month. In fact, investors looking at uh, the monetary policy news where the Fed is likely to go from here. We've seen the escalation that yield as well. And of course, uh, the latest uh, threats around the US government shutdown potential and uh, on the icing on the cake on top of that I think for markets looking to sell off has been that oil price, the surge that we saw, uh, the uh, 3% popped a fresh 10 month high. So taking a look at those markets over the course of the trading month, you can see down 5% for the S&P 500, the NASDAQ down 6.7%, slightly more contained around the likes of the Dow, but uh, downbeat you've got to say for September. Treasury markets, uh, we got uh, through that uh, 4.6 mark as you can see now. So we continue Continue to inch higher after claiming the 4.55 earlier in the week the highest levels we've seen on this 10-year yield since 2007. The shorthand also remaining supported as well so the high for longer story just playing out on bond markets to the dollar trade with those elevated yields it's been a dollar strong story as a result the strength in the greenback has knocked a number of currencies Off recent purchase. Morning session, you are seeing a bit of green move back into the fall, but uh, that is from a lower base, isn't it? 121.40 for instance on cable, euro dollar, look at that, hugging the 105 handle. Yesterday we were talking about 105 and a half. So resetting at a lower level that it's trying to trade in this band now. Two tenths down on dollar yen rates at this stage, dollar also on the back foot versus the yuan. WTI and Brent. I mentioned the commodity story. This was front and centre for a lot of investors yesterday. The March high that we've had on this price as we closed the gap to $100 a barrel, the highest level in 10 months. And just as we had that fading effect of high oil prices, the market now regrouping and just pondering the implications of higher oil for the inflation story and what that could mean for central banks. Brent, 97.38, another eight-tenths-plus morning session. More than 1% of the green as we also... narrow in on $95 a barrel on WTI to the Asian markets where ex-Korea also ex-India today neither of those markets are trading and the Chinese markets in countdown to golden week uh, so you can see it is a a market that's a little bit uh, bifurcated we've got about a tenth of a percent up on the Shanghai market but we're down on the Hong Kong trade and we're also down heavily on stocks out of Japan at this hour down about 1.7 or percent on more than 540 points Steve Karen, how are you? Very well, thank you. Good, good, good,
0: good. Look, you know when markets and commentators and strategists create these beautifully intricate but very fragile narratives? You know, A bit like when you go to one of those amazingly expensive I don't know, three Michelin-star restaurants you go to on a regular basis. You, you, they give you a dessert, and it's got this stunning spun sugar nest over the top. Yeah, you know, and it's like it looks beautifully it sounds intricate. Sounds like
2: you've been to them more than I have, really. Uh, certainly
0: not. <laughs> I do not spend as much time in Mayfair and gorgeous West London as you. That is for sure. But I do spend time in rural Sussex, where we get some pretty good desserts. But that's not the point. In fact, we invented the banoffee pie in East Sussex. You? Did you know that? Oh, everyone thinks it was American. Banoffee pie was invented in East Sussex. I
2: had no idea. Yes,
0: absolutely, and that mm. is a fact. And I will dispute that with any one of you like that. So you're no, talking
2: no, about a lot of sugar, basically. No,
0: I'm not. I, well, yes, the sugar rush. That's a very good analogy. But I was actually going on about this intricate weaved pattern that is made uh, by the market to construct a narrative about Goldilocks and about how everything's perfect and how it's a great landing path for markets to go higher. Do you know what it takes? It takes one little fork or spoon to smash that sugar nest and all of a sudden it's in tatters. And that's how I feel about the narrative of the market at the moment. People have tried to construct for us a narrative about how good things are, how it's Goldilocks. Well, how does good data bear in with that as well? How does that play out? Because U.S. durable goods orders, again, another piece of data, unexpectedly rose in August, up 0.2% on the month. That's against expectations of 0.5% dip. So what did you want everybody in the market? Did you want it up or down? Well, those of us who want a, a solid U.S. economy want it up. Those of you who are worried about interest rates desperately want it down. But it wasn't what you wanted, the latter, was it? Anyway, this comes after the July figure was revised lower. A jump in machinery orders offset a drop in civilian aircraft as business spending on equipment picked up. Well, the narrative is backed up by a lot of people that actually we can have a good landing path, including eminent people, way more eminent than I will ever be. Uh, the Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan told CNBC he is confident the U.S. will avoid a hard landing.
1: Our strategists are no recession, very slow growth, you know, half a percent. Annualized GDP growth, second and third quarter, you know, so it slows down, troughs, and starts coming back out, gets back up to above 1% at the end of next year, i.e., 24, and then finally gets back to 2% at the end of 25. So this is a, you know, a low.
3: Gradual. So would yep. you call that a soft landing? Or that, that, that's that, a soft that, that's landing by, soft by definition
1: landing. because it's not. It's now, not actually. Now the interesting thing is what caused them to change that. It was the consumer early on. What happened? You know, if you're in a, uh, you know, in 22. Fall heading into in a rate structure and all that stuff, and they're going to push it in. They have to; it's the only way to correct it. The consumer kept going. What's changed now is the consumer slowed down. So that that means you've got to now have more risk that you could push the other way
2: pick up on this point from Brian Moynihan. yes don't forget he was one of the first commentators out there to say, look, higher for longer. The market's getting this wrong. We're not going to be reversing on rates. It is going to be saying it's a central it? bank saying, you know, the rates go here and that's where they're going to stay. He told this, uh, us this much earlier in the year in Davos. So the fact he's saying no hard landing, I think that is significant. Though. Well,
0: hang on, though. What about the people who say not only are we not going to come, not only are we going to hold, but we're going to hike. Minneapolis uh, Federal Reserve President Neil Kashkari said the Fed may need to raise rates. Yeah, you don't like that one either, do you? Uh, May need to raise rates further to tame inflation, saying sectors of the economy that normally Uh, affected by rate hikes seem to be ignoring them. Wow, how does that work? We're reinventing the economic wheel. Uh, His comments come uh, a week after the FOMC, uh, of which Kashkari is a voting member at the moment. Well, they decided not to raise rates, but did signal another potential move higher this year. Speaking to CNBC, he said neutral rates may have to move higher.
4: One thing that makes me cautious that we might not be as restrictive as we think is that consumer spending has remained robust. GDP growth continues to outperform, and the two sectors of the economy that are traditionally most sensitive to interest rate hikes, autos and housing, have both indicated some signs of bottoming and in some cases are starting to show some recovery. That makes me cautious that we might not be as restrictive as we otherwise would think.
0: Well, to help me out of my quandary, my conundrum, my rumination is Brian O'Reilly, Head of Investment Strategy at Media Lanham Asset Management. And you're live from Dublin. Brian, nice to see you. Well, what do you think? Narratives are spun, uh, maybe with Fragile Sugar or something else as well. But I think they're unraveling quite quickly. Just what do you think about where we're at with rates and, and the market appreciation of where we're
4: going to be with rates? Uh, Good morning, Stephen. Thanks very much for having me on the show. Look, I I think it's a very interesting debate at the moment. Not overly surprised that we have entered what is traditionally a difficult part of the year in September and October and the market is kind of bifurcated between the positive uh, growth story on the one hand and then those who are Uh, looking for um, some cracks to appear in the economy. I've got to say I would agree with uh, the comments from Brian Moynihan. I mean, if we think back to the start of the year, it was pretty nailed on that we were going to have a recession. That was the consensus among the economics community, but you know, nine months on that simply hasn't been the case. And we can look at a whole host of economic data, whether it be the jobs market or indeed durable goods orders yesterday, uh, to see that at least the US economy remains uh, in pretty good shape at the moment. And again, it's all driven by the US consumer. It's obviously not a uniform picture around the world. We know China is still struggling um to reignite its economy, it's still dealing with the overhang of property. Europe, you know, entering a stagflationary environment, still high inflation for the ECB to fight and, and pretty much no growth, but really it is the US that is driving the global economy here. That inevitably leads to questions about whether the Federal Reserve have, have done enough and Kashkari's comments and um, that they may need to raise uh, rates further. Um, but I would say some cracks are beginning to appear. I mean, the US 30 year mortgage rate above 30% is having a dampening impact uh, on housing, We are beginning to see credit card delinquencies, uh, particularly in uh, lower income cohorts, begin to increase. Uh, So on balance, I think so far, central banks have got that balance right between raising rates to uh, quell inflation. They have not won the war, but they are winning the battle, um, while still maintaining some positive growth momentum. So on the whole, I think it's a fairly constructive picture at the moment as we look into Q4 and, and 2024.
0: I hear what you're saying, and I've been reading your copy as well about the three pillars, and, and like you make total sense as well. But but I'm more in the concerned about how this plays out on the consumer front. Again, you've you've absolutely raised the point: it are rising delinquencies in revolving credit? Are they the canaries in the coal mine? But I'll I'll, I'll add to that as well: uh, higher interest rates, tighter lending standards, reduced uh, cushion of savings as well, resumption of loan payments as well, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. It says to me that no one knows how the consumer is going to play out in the end and actually whether they're meaningfully they're going to they're pulling their, their spending and tighten their belt more aggressively as well. And, and that is is worry for me for a market that, I, despite the declines we've seen in this month of September, still looks rather elevated to me.
4: Yeah, absolutely. and that, that is the key debate at the moment. And, you know, as I said, it's, it's you know, the market and investors are, are pretty split at the moment. Um, There have been a number of reports uh, from the Federal Reserve and among others showing that, you know, the excess savings uh, that were built up during the pandemic are beginning to dissipate. And that that would be natural. I mean, that's essentially what central banks were trying to engineer, slow down the economy, bring inflation under control, um, and then we can get to a more um, stable path. But definitely the the fear and, and volatility in the market has been driven by, you know, rising bond yields, you know. The Federal Reserve and ECB have signaled that they're going to remain on hold uh, for a period until that uh, until they see the data uh, play out. Um, But the bond yields and bond markets tend to have a mind on their own and 4.6 percent on the U.S. tenure, you know, tightens financial conditions further. So we're really in this wait and see period as to whether, you know, the current um, level of interest rates are sufficient enough to bring Um, you know, inflation down, but at the same time, keep growth strong. I would make a point on the U.S. consumer. Um, Yes, obviously, with very high inflation, the consumer is coming under a bit of pressure. But if we look at the U.S. um, household savings rate in terms of cash deposits, we still see an excess of four trillion uh, still uh, stored in in bank accounts. So we think there is an adequate buffer there to maintain, you know, decent growth into next year.
2: Brian, can I ask you about the oil price? Because we've seen it again uh, move higher in recent sessions, getting towards that $100 barrel level. It's not on strong demand, is it? We're still talking about whether economies can skirt recession. We've got fading momentum indicators. And again, we're talking about a story where supply is impacting that price level. How unusual is it to see prices at this level, given the economic conditions?
4: Um, I mean, it's not a welcome development, that's for sure. I think, you know, the market was relatively comfortable when oil was uh, in the low 70s during the summer. Obviously, as you say, Karin, I mean, some of this has got to do with storage. It's not necessarily a large supply demand uh, imbalance globally. Um, so we would hope that will dissipate in time. I'm sure the U.S. authorities are trying to increase uh, storage in WTI to help keep uh, oil prices lower as we head into the winter months. But inevitably, it is leading uh to the debate that, you know, inflation may not be over yet. Um, some very good comments from uh, former Fed President Bullard uh, comparing, you know, today's situation to, is it 1974 or is it 1994? So in 1974, obviously, we came off an oil shock and we had these bouts of inflation right throughout the 70s, as we know. Or is it similar to 1994, where, again, we had a, a pretty bond, uh, pretty bad bond market Um, in terms of the bond massacre, but then the advent of the likes of the internet, and we can compare that today to AI, will we see a productivity shift over the next coming years from that? And that can ultimately lead us to a period of, you know, pretty strong, robust, stable growth, say over the next three to five years.
2: Brian, I want to weave the energy story into one of your calls, which is that uh, you'd say be healthy if some of the air came out of tech valuations and there was a rotation into other parts of the market, namely healthcare or even energy. Well, we have seen that during the month of September. If you look at the NASDAQ, we're now down about 19% off the, the recent uh, record highs. And when it comes to energy, we've had gains for the trading month, one of the better performing parts of uh, the US market. So does that rotation continue on into October?
4: Um, I, I, I think it can. Um, I, I mean, a couple of things I would point to. I mean, obviously, this year has been, you know, way above above expectations in terms of how strong markets have, have been. You mentioned the NASDAQ, you know, up over 30%, albeit led by just a few very, very large names. Um, if we take a step back and we have a look at valuations, you know, going back to the nineties, only on two occasions have we seen uh, valuations in the tech sector and particularly as high um, as the late 90s, and that was during the COVID growth bubble and all that craziness, and, and also today. So my, my view is that while AI, I believe, is you know a, a real phenomenon, it will lead to improved productivity, it will lead to ultimately improved earnings, valuations have just got a little bit ahead of itself. So I actually think it would be rather healthy if we continue to see that rotation that we've seen over the week uh, last week or two, uh, continue, let some air out of the tech valuations, rotation to some, some of the other parts of the market. And certainly when we screen for stocks now, we're looking at very high quality companies trading on low uh, double digit valuations, but yet yielding quite a significant yield. So ultimately, I think we will see uh, valuations come down in technology. I think that is healthy. And, and ultimately, I think the market will broaden out over the next quarter.
2: Brian, thank you so much for joining us. It's so early in the morning, Brian O'Reilly with us, Head of Investment Strategy at Media Asset Management. And on a programming note, Sarah Eisen will be speaking exclusively to City CEO Jane Fraser tomorrow. This is from the City 2023 TMT Leadership Summit in Pebble Beach, California. Not just the state of play around business and consumers at this point. Don't forget, there's been a big strategy change over at City, so that's yeah. going to be quite key. Oh, yeah.
0: I mean, Jane Fraser's been very robust in get with the program kind of stuff. But uh, no, very, very Take interesting out interview.
2: Bureaucracy, ahead. right? Take out all those layers and yeah, try and the streamline. The business,
0: yeah, it's going to be no, fascinating. Very much so. Uh, elsewhere, though, CNBC's Delivering Alpha is just around the corner. Uh, you can join top investors and leaders later today in New York for insight, analysis, and ideas to help you balance risk with maximizing returns. Look, you can scan the QR code on your screen now, or visit cnbcevents.com/slash/DeliveringAlpha to find out more.
2: Coming up on the show, we've been talking about it all week. Spain's political future in limbo. Conservative leader Alberto Nunez Feijoo fails to win the votes to become Prime Minister. Plus, Donald Trump skips another Republican debate, heading to Detroit in a bid to secure the backing of the United Auto Workers Union as he plots a return to the White House. And Germany lines up what could be the biggest IPO of the year as Scott Farmer prepares to list with a potential valuation of 4.1 billion euros. European viewers can hear from the CEO at 11.15 CET.
3: Listen to CNBC's
0: Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal, and me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and Find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts.
2: Spain's Conservative leader, Alberto Nunez Fejo, has failed to achieve enough votes to become Prime Minister and form a government, falling four votes short of the 176 required for a majority. He has struggled to put together a coalition after refusing to meet the demands of separatist parties. A second vote will take place on Friday, but Fejo is widely expected to once again be unsuccessful. In an address to the Spanish parliament prior to the vote, he called on legislators to keep the election result in mind.
4: We are here so that the general election result is not
0: erased. We're here so that 8 million voters are not put in a corner or are silenced. These voters added to the others that will support us totals 11 million.
4: This is the majority of the Spanish voters who are not independent supporters.
2: The French government has revealed its 2024 budget plan targeting a deficit of 4.4% of GDP. That is down from 4.9% this year. The government announced plans to roll back energy subsidies and trim unemployment benefits, but will raise other welfare spending and pension payments to mitigate the impacts of inflation. France is aiming to cut its deficit to the EU target of 3% by, of GDP by 2027, while raising money for green initiatives through tax increases on carbon-emitting companies, uh, at least uh, one country so far talking about still getting back to target. Uh, France is reportedly exploring the idea of a windfall levy on energy in a bid to deliver on President Macron's pledge to take back control of prices. That's according to the Financial Times, which says the move as the government uh, is looking to cap national electricity prices without breaking EU rules on subsidies. One option reportedly under consideration is collecting and redistributing redistrib- some of EDF's revenues.
0: Uh, The Italian government has hiked its deficit target and cut its growth forecast for the year. The deficit target has been lifted to 5.3% of GDP this year. Um, Well, well, they're all 3%. Oh, yeah, we don't use those anymore. Uh, We've done that sketch already this week. Uh, Anyway, to 5.3% deficit from 4.5%, whilst GDP growth is now estimated at 0.8%. Again, we talked about the lessening of those figures, didn't we, earlier this week, down from 1%. Silvia Amaro joins us with more. Um... Sylvia, mm. there is a tendency for journalists such as myself uh, on this channel, which we consider, oh, I don't, we, we don't have a political bent, but we kind of look at a great, how great a job Draghi did at the ECB and how great a job he did when he was leading a technocratic government in <laughs> Italy to laud Mr Draghi as doing everything right. Uh, and there is a tendency to say, well, it's a right-wing government from Maloney. That's dangerous. They're going to they're mm. they do dangerous things and populist things, uh, and it's going to derail the economy. Let me just challenge that perception as well, because yeah, I think... Fair there is a, a very fair vein of comment, a very educated vein of comment. It said, actually, Draghi has actually made a bit of a mistake in, in this super bonus tax area, which is now causing enormous fiscal problems for the Italian government. So rather than just lauding Draghi and saying, oh well, Malone is blowing up the budget, what have you. Actually, I think it's a fair, argument to say. She's been left with a bit of a hot potato, which is scuppering the figures.
3: To some extent, yes. She w- she has this legacy issue, really, that she is dealing with now that indeed is adding pressure to the budget. But w- another thing we like to do in this channel is looking at the numbers. Yes. So I would like to highlight a couple of them for you, you because that. when it comes to, for instance, growth expectations, According to the latest Italian uh, budgetary plan, the idea for this year is that they will reach a GDP rate of 0.8%. That's down from what they initially estimated. But where I want you to look at is the expectation for 2024. GDP is expected to be 1.2%. That's according to the Italian government. If you look at the numbers for 2024 from the European Commission, they're a lot less positive than Rome's estimates. When looking at deficit as well, there's a school of thought here that just because, and this goes hand in hand to the point you were trying to make, Steve, there's a school of thought that indeed just because the deficit for next year is above 3%, uh, this could actually raise problems with Brussels. Indeed, the expectation is that deficit will be at 4.3%, but when it comes to what Brussels will do, we still don't know. The reality is that Rome is expecting deficit to come down from this year going into 2024. That's, yes, above 3%. But what can the Commission do at this stage? We don't know what sort of fiscal rules will actually be in uh, in place at the start of next year, whether it will be the old r- rules or whether they will have new fiscal targets to comply with. And therefore, there's a school of thought here that perhaps the role of Brussels in this instance is actually quite quite... quite limited given that we don't have an agreement among the finance ministers.
2: Is there an argument that the Italian economy needs support at this point? That it does actually need more stimulus uh, being poured well, for into For instance, from go- like, a, from let's government? say the
0: EU giving them 190 billion do- <laughs> euros to help their national recovery and resilience. But something like that, for instance.
2: Yeah, but that is oh, over... Oh, my a... goodness me, they've already got one. Well, to the point, that isn't meant to be a long-term plan. There is a view without uh, that fiscal... got to be spent for... by mid-2026,
0: and they're struggling yes. to get it all through.
2: Yes, but then some of this does take a little while to catch on, right, in terms of the, how the money is infested... Absolutely. Like, and the for instance, in, a year since it was offered of it. to Rome, something like that? But my point... Instead of renting a house. You'll excuse view my senses because they've had a long time to work this out. Growth. But there is a view that the fiscal stimulus is not catching bid now that's actually causing some fading growth across the economy. And if that is the context, would more spending by the government, just playing devil's advocate here, would more spending actually support the growth story?
3: But that is the main argument actually from the government, is that they can't come up now with a deficit target below 3% just to comply with the old rules when they feel they actually need to support the economy. And among the measures that actually the government is preparing for 2024 is supporting uh, the families, supporting uh, parents. So they're looking at that side as well. And of course, when preparing a budget, there's always this trade-off between how much do we want to spend versus how far can we go in terms of fiscal targets. Of
2: course, there is the long-term problem. Where are the reforms? I mean, you know, in terms of actually generating growth in the long-term, the view is that you need to get the reforms done so you sustain growth.
3: And if I may add, when it comes to long-term, and I know you love a little bit of that talk when you look at their expectations for that going into the coming years, the improvement is actually quite limited. We're talking about 140% debt to GDP expected for this year. In 2026, so 2026, yeah. they're expecting it at 139.6. So it's not a huge difference there. We're talking about well, two it's, years it's in a the rounding making. It's
0: depending on how you account it, yeah, it's also.
2: consistent at best. So when will we actually see this dead pile coming down? I like
0: your glass (laughs) half full on that one. Do you know we've set um, Sylvia Homework?
2: We have. Yeah, we yes, we have. Have. yeah, yeah. we've
0: sent you non-creepy uh, yes.
2: homework.
0: Yes. Yeah, I, 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 I think Sylvia is brilliant at many things, but I'm, I'm very disappointed in, in that she doesn't know who Dean Martin was.
3: I'll correct that right now. We need
0: you to do a little bit uh, of Dean Martin because his yes. most famous song, of course, one of them is is that It's beautiful. At least
3: I've <laughs> heard that one.
0: <laughs> it may be slightly different from that "Tomorrow," but anyway, that's the point. Uh, lovely, <laughs> yes. lovely here, and we'll see you a bit later on. Yes, thank, thank you. you.